This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 9, we're going to read the first nine verses to begin with, and then we'll go through this chapter. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Marvel at how you turned a persecutor, Saul, into a preacher, Paul. Thank you, Lord, for reaching him. And just as you reached him, reach us and those that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you do not have a screen behind me with the sermon outline, but I think you are smart enough to follow with what I'm about to say. So last week we saw in Acts 8 that Philip witnessed about Jesus in a Samaritan city and brought joy to that city. We saw that Philip uh, was followed around by Simon the sorcerer who falsely professed faith and was exposed as a fraud by the apostle Peter. And we saw Philip run alongside the Ethiopian eunuch who was riding in a chariot until he was invited to come along and explain to him Isaiah 53 that the Ethiopian eunuch had been listening to about Jesus, the Messiah. So Philip is mentioned one more time in Acts 21, verse 8, which is 25 years later. Right now, we're focusing on Acts chapter 9, and the question of this chapter is this. Is it possible for a foe to become a follower? Is it possible for a foe to become a follower? And there are uh, these points here that we're going to look at verse by verse. One is that Paul was an enemy with hatred, and he was actively attacking the church. 
Point two is there was a blinding light with a convicting question from the Lord. Number three, there was a frightening assignment for Ananias, and there was a new calling for Saul to become Paul. Number four, there was a surrounding turnaround. The one who fought the faith was defending the faith, and there was a daring escape when Paul was let down from the wall of the city in a basket to get away. And number five, there's an encourager to accept and protect. Barnabas came alongside of this new convert, Saul, and introduced him to the church. All right, let's look at each of these points one at a time. First of all, an enemy with hatred actively attacking. We need to go back to Acts chapter 8 to see that Dr. Luke brought him up earlier. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Stephen had just given an incredible message about how it's not about the temple that's central to faith. It's about believing that's central to faith. Faith alone is what saves us. And after he had confronted the Jewish leaders for murdering Jesus the Messiah. They were so furious, they dragged him out and they stoned him to death, but his face was that of an angel. And he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And they laid their cloaks by Saul, who was a young man at the time, and Saul was approving of this murder. Now it says in Acts 8.3 that... Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Dr. Luke picks up where he left off then about Saul in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now you need to know that in the original Greek, the Koine Greek that the New Testament is written in, it has very specific and graphic words. To to read the Greek is like watching television in high definition color. To read the New Testament in English is like watching it in black and white. You still get the idea, but you don't get all the color, all the nuances. So when it says, Dr. Luke writes, that Saul was breathing out murderous threats, he is saying Saul was so zealous for his Jewish faith to be kept pure and to kill or silence uh, heretics and blasphemers that he was snorting out of his bull-like nostrils. He was like a wild animal, full of fangs and claws, just wanting to rip the followers of the way to shreds. That's what it says in the original Greek. And uh, can such a man filled with hatred towards the way become a follower of, of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
And he was rejecting that Jesus was alive, as the disciples claimed. He was rejecting that Jesus was the Messiah. Also in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, when Ananias is asked to go lay hands on Saul, he says, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So here's a man, an enemy with hatred, and he's actively attacking. Point number two is this. On the road to Damascus, there was a blinding light with a convicting question. A blinding light with a convicting question. Let's read about that in Acts 9, verses 3 to 6. As he, that is Saul, neared Damascus, which, by the way, was 150 miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem, which was a six-day trip by horseback. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now let's try to get into this, all right? If you were Saul and you're riding high on your horse with a self-righteous mission to hunt down and to arrest all those who believe differently than you do, and suddenly you are so blinded by a light that just flashed out of nowhere that was brighter than the sun, and you're knocked off your high horse, and you're on your face in the dirt, and you hear your name being called by a voice from heaven, how would you respond? Well, I think there's three quick things we need to note. Number one, God knows our name. He said, Saul. Number two, God said Saul's name twice for emphasis. God speaks so to get our attention. He wants us to listen to him. Are you tracking with me so far? God knows your name and God wants your attention. He wants you to be all ears in listening to him. Saul. Saul, Saul. And then God said his name in Hebrew or Aramaic, not in Greek. God speaks so we clearly can understand. He speaks our language. He speaks to us in our dialect. So God is getting through to this stubborn Saul. And some translations at this point include the additional question, Why do you keep kicking against the goads? The Lord was asking why Saul kept resisting conviction. A goad is a long pointy stick. And when the cattle were going into the stall and they wanted to go their own way, they would poke them with the stick to get them to go into the stall. Well, the goad was like a stick of conviction. Every time Saul was persecuting the Christians and he saw their radiant faith. Every time he was throwing them into jail or uh, giving them a thumbs down so that they would be murdered, stoned, he had conviction, but he kept blowing it off. He kept kicking against the goads. And the Lord is saying, how long will you fight conviction? How long will you resist me? 
How long will you rebel against me and deny my existence? He's asking, why do you persecute me? That's the question of conviction. And Saul must have been thinking, I'm not persecuting God. Just the opposite. I'm defending God against heretics and blasphemers. Who is really talking to me right now? If this is God, then he would know that I'm persecuting the followers of the way because they falsely claim that Jesus is alive and that he is the Messiah and that we're guilty of murdering him on the cross. Who are you? I am Jesus. Uh-oh. Can you imagine the uh-oh moment of Saul at that second? What? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, when you touch the Lord's anointed, you touch the Lord himself. When you persecute the body of Christ, you are persecuting Christ who is the head of the body of Christ. And I'm imagining Saul saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. I have been attacking and fighting against God himself. You can't guess a box against God. Your arms are too short to box against God. Saul would probably thought to himself, I didn't see that one coming. I am completely wrong and have been working against God instead of serving him. So now his mind is probably shifting and he's saying, Will Jesus, who I, I now realize is the Messiah and God, reject me? Will he punish me? Will he kill me for hurting him by hurting his people? I'm cringing right now in total fear bracing myself to get ready to be zapped off the face of the earth. But what does this voice from heaven say? What does Jesus say? Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul's probably thinking, what? You forgive me? You're not casting me off or destroying me? You're actually letting me get up from being on my face on the ground and telling me that you have work for me to do for you? You want to give me assignments that fulfill your will instead of what I was doing? I suddenly realized that I was doing the opposite of your will. I was doing Satan's bidding by attacking and persecuting your people. I want to do what you want me to do. I trust in you. I have faith in you. I believe. What a radical salvation. The grace of God. God's unmerited favor. We don't get what we deserve, which is eternal death and separation from God in hell, but we receive what we don't deserve, which is being adopted as God's child and receiving the gift of eternal life to be co-heirs and co-regents with Jesus and his kingdom work. And it's all by faith. Faith alone by grace alone, by the word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. That's what it's all about. Let me ask you, have you ever suddenly realized that you had it all wrong? That you had a way of dealing with things that was incorrect? Let me just share you three spiritual turnarounds in my life. One was, I thought God was like my father. My father didn't have a dad. And, uh, he was in the army at one time, 
And he decided to raise us four boys as if we were soldiers. And he was very strict. He'd, he'd do white glove instru- ins- inspections. And if we were out of order, we got lashings. And uh, I made the mistake of comparing God to my dad. And I had to read the Bible and accept what the Bible said about God rather than what my feelings said about God. The Bible said that God is like a father who sings over us and rejoices in us. The Bible says that if we lack wisdom, God will give it to us generously without finding fault. Without finding fault. That's who God is. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Maybe you need to do a spiritual turnaround right now and realize God is not like your dad. If you had a dad that was strict and maybe overbearing. Well, that was a spiritual turnaround in my life. Another one was, I thought I'd work hard all the time and never take a break. If hard work is good, then harder work is better. And uh, the Lord said, no, you, you're, you keep going like that, you're going to break. You need Sabbath rest. Every seven days, you, you, within every seven days, you need to take a day of rest. Uh, another spiritual turnaround in my life is, I used to believe in performance-based approval. You know what a performance-based approval is? It's where... I thought I had to please God in order for him to love me. But it's just the opposite. I please God out of the fact that he already loves and approves of me. Do you see that spiritual turnaround? So what do you have in terms of a belief system or thought where you need to do an about face? God needs to turn you around. There's things we need to unlearn and denounce if we're going to get it right because maybe the things we learned and hold on to are not the gospel truth they're not either gospel nor truth religion and religious trappings that we think should not be violated because they are sacred cows need to be sacrificed on the barbecue of what god's word truly teaches amen all right so with this blinding light there's a convicting question he says who are you lord He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He gives the assignment to to him that he is to do his work. Now, I'd like us to go to point number three. Frightening assignment, new calling. God goes to Ananias, who's a Messianic Jew living in the city of Damascus. And he says, I've got something for you to do. It says in Acts chapter 9, 11 to 16, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So the Lord comes to Ananias in a vision. And by the way, his name means God is merciful. I went to a memorial service for Pastor Joseph Kielveli on Friday at Neighborhood Church. And his son got up and he said, My name, Sean, means God is merciful. My father was praying, Hanani, 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 which means God is merciful in Hebrew. The name Ananias means God is merciful. I think the Lord's been emphasizing a message to me to share with you. God is merciful. God forgives. God gives grace. 
God restores, God sustains, God is merciful. His loving kindness is better than life itself. Amen. So God is merciful, and he's sending Mr. Mercy to go over to Saul, who's now blinded and hasn't had anything to eat or drink for three days, to lay hands on him so that his sight could be restored. But Ananias has a problem. Lord, you're sending me to go to church public enemy number one, who's here on an assignment to persecute, arrest Christians. Are you sure you got this right? He's hesitant. He's fearful. But God says, yes, go. It says in verse 15, 16, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and then and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he tells Ananias, yes, he's genuinely saved by me. I've commissioned him to share the gospel with the Gentiles and their leaders, and he'll also speak to the Jewish people. Go. Go. Now, this is obedience. Obedience is not when we do something that God asks us to do that we agree with and totally understand. That's simply following what the Lord would have us to do. Obedience is when God asks us to do something we don't understand. When he asks us to do something we don't agree with, but he's Lord. Luis Palau said that we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And, and when, when you look at a cross, it has two beams. And one beam can represent, this is the way I want to do things. And the other beam could be, this is the way God wants me to do things. And when God says, do something different than what we want, His will overrides our will. Take up your cross, die to self and your own preferences and your own wisdom and obey God. Do what he wants you to do. And that's what Ananias had to do. He had to gulp really hard and he had to brace himself to head to Straight Street. By the way, let me just say this, which is an absolute blessing to me. The older I get, the more I appreciate the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. God is a God of detail and of timing. And both of those are illustrated by this verse in verse 11, where God gives incredible detail. He says, go to the house of Judas or Judah on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus, he knows his hometown, named Saul, he uses his Hebrew name, because he's praying right at this second. And I've already given him a vision in advance that you're going to come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Is that not detailed? That is right down to the last detail. God has it all covered. And his timing is perfect because he already gave a vision to Ananias. I mean, to Saul about Ananias coming. So it's like, hey, call him in advance and let him know I'm on my way. God already did that. So don't you appreciate that God is in control? Don't you appreciate that God knows every single last detail? Don't you appreciate that God's timing is perfect? I mean, let's just praise the Lord that God is sovereign. He's a God of detail, and he's a God of timing. So even though Ananias had a frightening assignment, he realized that Saul had a new calling. So when he comes to lay hands on Saul, 
The first words out of his mouth are these, Brother Saul. Isn't that beautiful? Number one, he was convinced that the Lord had converted Saul radically. Number two, Saul heard that he's now part of the family of God. He's now part of the family of God. All by God's amazing grace. Point number four, surprising turnaround, daring escape. Surprising turnaround, daring escape. Acts chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. At once, he, that is Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Praise the Lord, the very thing that Saul was trying to tear down, now he's building up. The very thing he opposed, he is now the number one proponent for. Praise God, he went from murderer to missionary, from persecutor to preacher. What a sub- It was such a surprising turnaround that it says the people were astonished. It says, is this the same man? They did a double take. They had to rub their eyes and look again. It looks like Saul. It sounds like Saul. But he's not huffing and puffing and breathing out the, the snorting out like a raging bull, the anger he used to have towards these followers of the way. No, he's preaching and he's saying, Jesus is alive. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's utterly convinced. What happened to him? He's been radically saved. Praise God for that. Well, there was a conspiracy. He was so effective in preaching, so growing in power and effectiveness in preaching Jesus as the Messiah from the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament that it says in Acts 9, 23-25, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So one of the guys who, who trusted in Jesus as Messiah said, I've got a house that's on the wall. Let's uh, lower you in a basket. And so they lowered him in a laundry basket or a, uh, excuse me, in a basket that would hold the wheat or something and in the middle of the night. Now he didn't know how many stories he'd be lowered down because it's not, the, the city was built on a, ha- on a, wa- on a hill. So it's not just let him out the window and let him down two stories, but then let him down the hill as well. So it was quite a traumatic experience. Are they going to drop me? Are they going to let go of the rope? And by the way, you may feel like you are just an unknown Christian and you don't have an important role in the kingdom, but you just might be the person who's holding the rope to help a Christian that God's really using to go a long way. You know, this is Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and you've expressed your love to me, and you've given me uh, cards and words of encouragement, and I just feel you're holding my rope, and you're, you're empowering me to keep preaching the gospel, and I just thank the Lord for you. I really do. God bless each and every one of you.
We come to the last point, and this is encourager to accept and project, uh, protect. Encourager to accept and protect. Acts chapter 9, verse 27, but Barnabas took him. You see, Saul, after he preached in Damascus, went to Arabia, back to Tarsus area, and for three years he just studied in the seminary of the Holy Spirit. He let the Lord teach him. He didn't consult with the apostles in Jerusalem. He was letting the Lord directly teach him about the gospel. And he was planting some churches. He wasn't just taking a vacation. He was planting some churches, and he probably planted the church in Galatia during this time. And he probably suffered greatly and was persecuted for his faith down there when he was studying in three years away. But he comes back, and he comes to Jerusalem. He's staying with his sister now because no one else will let him into their house. They think, Saul, aren't you public enemy number one against the church? We don't trust you. We know what your tactic is. Your tactic is to infiltrate the church and then find out who the leaders are and pick us off, knock us out. We don't want you anywhere near us. But you know, it was Barnabas who believed in Saul. And we need an encourager, someone who believes in us, someone who comes alongside of us, someone who vouches for us. And that's what Saul did. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas stood with Saul. So that's the message. Is it possible for a foe to become a follower? The answer is we had an enemy with hatred actively attacking who encountered a divine blinding light with a convicting question from Jesus himself, and that Ananias had a frightening assignment to tell him of the new calling he had for Saul's life to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and that there was a surprising turnaround. The one who was fighting the faith was preaching the faith, and he had a daring escape from the city walls in a basket, and that Barnabas was the encourager to get him to be accepted and protected by the church because he was persecuted again and had more death threats and they had to send him uh, to a safe place. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. 8920521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's word.